good to see you. I'm going to get rid of this, and I'm going to grab a, a little bit of water because I'm kind of parched, and I've got a little preaching to do. Did we not have a good time last week with Steve Throckmorton being here? I'm sorry, I said Steve. You know why I said Steve Throckmorton? Steve Throckmorton's another buddy of mine who's going to be here next month. Dwayne Deskins was here last week. That's, what, that's who it was. I promise you I'm not that old. Not nearly enough of you are laughing. I'm going to be honest with you. Tracy Caps, I am looking for all that. For, Lord have mercy. It is good to see you, sister. Can we say hi to Tracy right here? Yeah. Tracy was a part of the furniture around here for the longest time in the world. And uh, it is, I am delighted to see you here. I did not know you were here. Jerry Miles, am I seeing your face sticking through right over Tracy's shoulder right there? Jerry Miles. Tracy, if I were you, I'd be worried about looking who's over your shoulder right now. I'd be worried about that. It's good to see you, Jerry. Is there anybody else I'm missing for crying out? Just, you know, right now is the opportunity of a lifetime. Right now, whoever you are, you don't even have to know me. All you have to go, yeah, you're missing me. I'm going to, and Ann Fink just raised her hand. Yeah, I'm here, I'm here. Ann, it's good to see you too. Well, praise God, it's good to, good to be here this morning, and I am so glad that we have the opportunity to worship the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Visitors, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. It's good to see your smiling faces. And uh, I'm going to just to be honest with you, visitors, I'm going to make several references during the message to things you haven't heard because I've been in a, a mini series um, and I'm going to refer to a couple of things that you won't know that I referred to. So please forgive me if I can remember, I will try to draw your attention to that, but I won't be able to fill in the blanks because these are enormous subjects that we're discussing. We are talking about and have been talking about, with the exception of Dwayne's uh, guest ministry last week, we've been for the, this will be week three on a sermon series entitled The Case for Easter. And we're making the case of the validity of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning is going to be the last morning of this series. Uh, and I want everybody, if you will, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, it is going to be up behind me. I typically, and what I mean by typically is 99 point something percent of the time, read from the NIV. Um, and if you have a different translation than the New International Version, you can just look up here if it makes you feel more comfortable. Where we're coming out of 1 Corinthians 15 is the 3rd through the 8th verses. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Now, you, some of you who are not visitors this morning are going to recognize this passage of Scripture. And I will briefly, briefly touch on that again. Let's read the Bible, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, reads such... For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Now, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul here isn't just making an arbitrary statement. He qualifies his statement about Christ's death with the statement, according 
to the Scriptures, meaning that Paul is referring to the prophetic regarding his passing. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and once again, according to the Scriptures. It was prophesied about. And that, and here is where we get into the meat and potatoes of today's message. He appeared to Cephas. Now, for those of you who may not know who Cephas is, you know him better as Peter. Yes, that Peter, the one who jumped out of the boat and nearly drowned. That Peter. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. This morning we conclude our sermon, three-part sermon series, entitled The Case for Easter, which is based on Lee Strobel's book, by the same name. I strongly suggest you buy that book. I have said that week after week, and you won't have to hear me say it again because this is the last week of the series. But I strongly uh, suggest you buy it. A month ago, we started addressing some very key questions regarding the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The first question that we addressed, we did so three weeks ago. That question was, was Jesus really dead after his ordeal on the cross? And I know, as I said to the congregation regularly gathered here when I preach this, yes, that's actually a question. Was Jesus really dead after his ordeal on the cross? The second question that we addressed, we did so two weeks ago. That question, was his tomb actually empty on that first Easter morning? And then, of course, our third and final question, we're going to address this today on Resurrection Sunday. Did credible people subsequently encounter him after his death and his burial. And with that, let's go ahead and get started. Did, in fact, credible people actually subsequently encounter the Lord Jesus after his resurrection? And if so, who were they? Who encountered Jesus? This is an important question. It's really an important question, as we'll find out more as we proceed along, because the bottom line is, is by itself, an empty tomb does not a mes- resurrection make. Basically, an empty tomb without proof of a resurrection is little more than a hole in the ground. Although powerful ev- evidence has, in fact, been submitted for the case that the tomb of Jesus was empty on that first Easter morning. And if you want a sampling of that evidence, and this is just a small sliver of evidence, go back and reread Matthew chapter 28. And look at what is stated in Matthew chapter 28, 
from a factual perspective, from an intellectual perspective, from a I'm Batman and I solve crimes perspective. Go back and read Matthew 28. We have to realize that, a, despite that fact, that we have to realize that a missing body is not conclusive proof in and of itself. It's just not. Something more is needed to prove the idea, the theory, the concept that Jesus actually resurrected. Something more than an empty hole in the ground is needed. What is needed? People. You need people to have seen Him and interacted with Him after His death and His burial. Interestingly, (laughs) this is, on first blush, this is a little problematic. But interestingly, do you realize that there are absolutely no eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There are none. Dr. Gary Habermas, Ph.D., Doctor of Divinity, says this. He says, quote, There's no descriptive account of the resurrection. Nobody was sitting inside the tomb and saw the body start to vibrate, stand up, take the linen wrappings off, fold them, roll back the stone, wow the guards, and leave. End quote. No, no witnesses. And like I said, first First of all, first right off, out, out of the gate. That sounds problematic. It sounds like it could hinder the efforts to establish the resurrection as an actual historical event. However, when analyzing the evidence of the resurrection, we have to come to the recognition. We have to understand. We have to consider only two questions. In order to prove The resurrection of Jesus Christ. All we need is to affirmatively answer two questions. One, did in fact Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? And two, I'm looking for it. I promise you I'm going to find it here in a second. Did he actually appear to other people after the fact? Because on one hand, you've got a dead man. That's it. He's dead. On the other hand, you've got a live man. Remember with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's never a question of whether the body is in the tomb or not. It's a question of whether or not people saw him after he died. Okay? With that said... If you can establish these two things, yes, he died, and yes, he was seen afterwards, you've made your case. Why? Simple. Dead people don't do that. Dead people don't normally do that. And I don't care what uh, um, um, The Walking Dead says on your television set. I could not possibly care how many people running around rotting on their shoe leather. You get, I I could not care. Dead people don't come back. And that's a fact. We've already covered the first question. Did Jesus die on the cross? We did that in our first week. 
And we did so convincingly. All that's left is now the second question. Did he appear later? That's all we've got to answer. So what evidence is there? What evidence is there that people actually saw him? Well, let's find out. Let's give this a whirl and see what we can come up with. First, it's virtually undisputed. It's an undisputed reality among critical scholars that the Apostle Paul did in fact write 1 Corinthians. So what? What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? It's important because Paul, in 1 Corinthians, affirms not once, but in two places, that he himself personally encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, but twice, says the author of 1 Corinthians. First, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the very first verse. It's brief. Look at this. These are all rhetorical questions, incidentally. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And here's the hitch. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The answer is, yeah, you did. So he's, there's the first admission. I actually encountered him by the Apostle Paul. The second one is in chapter 15, where we're ultimately going to be landing, which is where our text verse is. Verse 8 says, And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. As mentioned in a previous message, the 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 passage, which we read at our text, is actually a very early Christian creed. By early, I mean it, it happened, it was formulated, it was circulated shortly after Christ was resurrected. It's a creed where, where verses 3-4 through four directly address the validity of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Then we move into verses 5 through 8. It is here that the creed references His post-resurrection appearances to people who are both named and unnamed. And that's something that's important. Let's read it again, beginning in verse 5. It'll be behind me. And that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that... He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, he says. Now, this is what's important about the 500, most of whom are still living, although some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. That's important stuff to recognize. Because here is the Apostle Paul, the one who used to be called Saul, a persecutor of the church, now a believer, understanding he has incredible credentials to be the one who's going to come up with factual information to substantiate his claims about Jesus Christ because he's one of the ones who ran around arresting people and understood how this turns out if you don't recant. And yet him, he tells of himself, I'm more zealous than anybody. You want to talk about a freak show? Look at me! Nobody does their job better than me, Paul says. And yet here he is, 
not only claiming and endorsing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as fact, he addresses the resurrection of and appearances post-resurrection as fact too. To the point where he starts dropping names, saying what? Look, you don't believe me? Fine. You go ask them. They're still kicking. Some of them might have fallen asleep by now. In other words, they've been buried. Some of them may have, but right now, all you have to do to check my story is you ask them, they'll tell you the same thing. That's important to know. How many of you today are willing to give up your life just for a feel-good movement? How many of you are willing to sacrifice yourself either in occupation, your home, going hungry, uh, uh, being exposed to the elements, being persecuted, maybe even giving your life in torturous ways, as one author says later in my message, just because this is a feel-good movement. In other words, if that tomb was not empty, all the officials would have had to have done was say, well, let's go look. And as soon as you see a body, Christianity's done. Right? But the problem is, and this goes back to Matthew chapter 28, if you read that, there are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that were not Christ followers there. There were Roman guards who witnessed what the women witnessed and then went and told the high priest just to have the high priests do what? Tell them to tell a lie because they knew the tomb was empty. But they had to make a cover story for it. Just read Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible of your own, look it up on the Internet. I promise you, you'll find it there. And the bottom line is, is the, the Apostle Paul is making substantial claims that a once persecutor, now persecuted man goes to his death to back up. The reality is that the amount of testimony and corroboration of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances is staggering. And here again, I, I just can't cover it all in these messages. So please do some research on your own to put it into perspective. And I want you to understand the vastness, the, the, the expanse amount of uh, eyewitness testimony here. Let's put this into perspective. Okay. If you were to call each one of the witnesses that we have documented in the Word of God, call them into a court of law to be cross-examined for just 15 minutes each. That's all you get with each witness. You get 15 minutes each. And you did this round the clock, non-stop. You didn't stop until you exhausted the witness pool. You did it without a break. It would take you from breakfast on Monday morning until dinner on Friday night before you could hear all of those individuals that are named in the Scriptures who interacted personally with the Lord Jesus Christ after He was dead, buried, and resurrected. What that means is this. 
if you take between the Acts of the Apostles and the four Gospels, that's 129 straight hours of eyewitness testimony available for your consideration. Ponder that for a minute. 129 straight hours of people in 15-minute increments testifying to the fact that they interacted with Jesus Christ after He was dead and was buried and came back to life. Monday morning at breakfast, you clock in and you don't stop until you say, Honey, I'm home on Friday night. That's pretty vast. There are several different appearances to a lot of different people in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Some were done individually. Some he appeared to in groups. Sometimes he did so indoors. And at other times he met with them outdoors. He met all kinds of people from the tender-hearted and, and gentle folk like John to real skeptical kind of folk, doubters like Thomas. All At times, they, they, they touched the man. They actually came in physical contact with him. Some of them even ate with Jesus. And what that suggests between the touching and the eating is that the Scriptures inform us here that this was not some ethereal or spiritual encounter. No, He was physically come up out of the grave, exited that tomb, and encountered people who loved Him. What better way can you possibly fathom than to start a fresh movement than to die in front of your, your followers, publicly die in a very graphic way, be publicly buried, the tomb sealed and guarded, only to have said tomb end up empty and exposed, and then you show up running around with well over 500 of your followers interacting, touching, hugging, shaking hands, eating fish on a beach. What better way to start a movement than that? With respect to those gospel appearances, there's a, there's a passel of them. In John chapter 20, Jesus showed Himself to Mary Magdalene. In Matthew chapter 28, He showed Himself to other women as well. He showed Himself to Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And elsewhere in Luke chapter 24, He showed Himself to the eleven disciples as well as others. In John 20, He showed Himself to ten disciples, ten apostles, with others. But someone was conspicuously absent here. Thomas wasn't there. And then later in John chapter 20, he shows himself again to another group, and this time Thomas is present. Because you'll remember the first time he showed up and Thomas wasn't there, Thomas is going, yeah, I doubt that. Just for him to turn around and show back up where Thomas was, and Thomas is like, oh! Okay, he didn't exactly do that. But you get the idea. 
John chapter 21, he shows himself to seven apostles. And in Matthew 28, he shows himself to the disciples. And finally, he shows himself to the apostles on the Mount of Olives in both Luke chapter 24 and in Acts chapter 1. This is a wealth of Jesus sightings. I mean, let's be honest. If we had this much evidence, Paul on Bigfoot, there wouldn't be shows made about Bigfoot. We're not making plaster casts of great big feet. There's too much evidence here. These were multiple appearances to numerous people, several of those appearances being confirmed in more than one gospel, as well as repeated in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. Regarding the book of Acts, since we've covered the gospels, not only are Jesus' appearance mentioned regularly, but those appearances include specific details. They provide certain details. And the theme of the disciples being witnesses of these things is found in almost every single one of those Acts accounts. Two, a number of those accounts in Acts chapters 1 through 5, chapter 10, and chapter 13 include some creeds like the 1 Corinthians 15 creed gives some very early information concerning Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, for those of you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, the reason I emphasize very early is because, as we all know, either because we are a cop, we've been a cop, we've been in a court of law, or we've watched a whole bunch of law and order. We know... That the earlier the testimony of an eyewitness comes, the more reliable the, credit, the testimony, right? That's exactly right. And so the point of all this is, is these creeds, especially the 1 Corinthians chapter 15 creed, it predates the four Gospels. It's that early. Some scholars think within weeks of the resurrection. And in order to have legend not corrupt the truth about the message of the gospel, it had to be very early. Now, scholar, gentleman by the name of John Drain said this, quote, The earliest evidence we have for the resurrection, almost certainly, speaking of the book of Acts now, goes back to the time immediately after the resurrection event allegedly took place. This is the evidence that is contained within the early sermons on the, uh, of the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, those early chapters, 1 through 5, 10, 13, those earlier chapters, when they preached in the book of Acts, they cited the reality that Jesus Christ, in fact, died, was buried, was resurrected, and I personally and others have seen Him face to face. There can be no doubt, Drain continues on, that in the first few chapters of Acts, its author has preserved material from very early sources. The resurrection was undoubtedly the central proclamation of the early church from the very beginning. 
If you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't have the early church. If you don't have the early church, guess what? You don't have us. Because if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't have a movement. You have a bunch of guys, and subsequently the women that were following as well, dissolving into the patchwork of society and the world. Because ain't no one going to follow something that they know flatly is a lie. Yes? The earliest Christians didn't just endorse Jesus' teachings. They were convinced they had seen Him alive after His crucifixion. That's what changed their lives and started the church. Certainly, since this was their center most conviction, they would have made absolutely sure that it was true. Now, earlier, just a couple, three, four, five minutes ago, I gave you a list of appearances that occurred in the four Gospels. Actually, three of the four Gospels. Did anyone happen to notice uh, on that list that I gave you when I was reading off, he showed up to this person, appeared so and so, that Mark's Gospel was never one time mentioned? Did anybody make notice that? I mentioned Matthew, I mentioned Luke, and I mentioned John. But I never mentioned Mark's Gospel. Did anybody happen to pick that up? You did, Jana. Jana picked it up. You get a you get a star, by the way. After after, um, well, not mentioning Mark's gospel in that list of post-resurrection appearances tends to suggest that Mark's gospel doesn't have a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Right? That's what it would you'd think if you were thinking along those lines. Yet, if every one of you were to turn right now in your Bible, whether it be a paper and leather Bible or a virtual Bible, you'll find out that in chapter 16 of that Gospel, um, verses 9 through 20, there's actually a resurrection, post-resurrection account. You'll, you'll actually see that. Now, let me ask you a question. If you happen to turn there, or maybe you just know this because you frequent your scriptures so much, does anyone here have a Bible that either below verse 8 and above verse 9, or somewhere in the footnote section at the base of the page, have a disclaimer that says something to this effect? Quote, the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20, end quote. Does anybody have a Bible that has that? All right, I've got one. Well, mine does. It says it right there. Matter of fact, I took that quote out of that page just to make sure you know that I'm on the level. Now, you have to remember that verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16 contain a very vivid post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Not only that, but it also contains an oft-quoted Matthew 28-style Great Commission passage in verses 15 through 18. I say it's oft-quoted because I've often quoted it. And you all, you all would recognize it in a flash if I were to read it. But since we're talking about did credible, did credible people subsequently encounter Jesus after his death, 
And yet we don't include Mark's account that begs this question, what's going on with Mark? Don't we all ask that question, what is going on with Mark? Okay, five of you do. The rest of you are visitors going, who is that? Assuming that this disclaimer, this it's not supposed to be here, disclaimer, is accurate. Isn't it a problem that the earliest of the four Gospels give a post-resurrection appearance, appearance of Christ? Well, let's look at that. You know, the reality is, is that let's pretend that that disclaimer is accurate. And chat verses 9 through 20 aren't supposed to be there. It would really be nice if Mark had this list of appearances like the other Gospels do. But even if Mark does end in verse 8, which not all scholars believe, incidentally, you still have Mark reporting the key elemental facts of this case. The tomb is empty. You have a young man proclaiming, He is risen. You have that same young man telling the women that there will be appearances of him and you will see him shortly. So what you have first is a proclamation that the resurrection has in fact occurred. And second, a prediction that he will be appearing to others shortly. Even if verses 9 through 20 don't belong, and someone tacked them on there for a fact. Let's just pretend that that's the case. And it's not necessarily the case. But let's pretend that it is. You still have the key core elements of this story intact. So even if Mark's Gospel does end in chapter 16, verse 8, Mark definitely believed that the resurrection, in fact, did take place. He ends his Gospel with the women being told that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that he will appear in Galilee. And then others later confirm that he did, in fact, appear in Galilee. I wanted to clear that up just in case we might have any questions. I'm going to set about at this time attempting to conclude this message. The reality is, is that Jesus was killed, he died on a cross. Alexander Methrell made that graphically clear in the message three weeks ago. His tomb was indeed empty on that first Easter morning. William Lane Craig left no doubt about that in the message two weeks ago. His disciples and others saw him, touched him, and even ate with him after the resurrection. Gary Habermas built that case this morning. A prominent, a prominent British theologian by the name of Michael Green said this, quote, The appearances of Jesus are as well authenticated as anything in antiquity. There can be no rational doubt that they occurred. And that the main reason why Christians became sure of the resurrection in the earliest days was just this. They could say with assurance, we have seen the Lord. 
and they knew it was him. Respected philosopher J.P. Moreland told this to author Lee Strobel. He said this, quote, when Jesus, is crucif- uh, fo- uh, when Jesus was crucified, his followers were discouraged and depressed. So they dispersed. The Jesus movement, movement was all but stopped in its tracks. Then, after a short period of time, we see them abandoning their occupations, regathering and committing themselves to spreading a very specific message that Jesus Christ was the Messiah of God who died on a cross, returned to life, and was seen alive by them. And they were willing to spread or spend the rest of their lives proclaiming this without any payoff from a human point of view. They faced a life of hardship. They often went without food, slept exposed to the elements, were ridiculed, beaten, imprisoned, and finally, most of them were executed in torturous ways. For what? For good intentions? No, because they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had seen Jesus Christ alive from the dead. End quote. What does that mean for us? You and I, we're not first century Christians. We didn't encounter Jesus walking around that that Galilean sand. We didn't see that. We weren't out body surfing on the med and there's Jesus saying, hey, have some fish. We didn't encounter that. What about us? Unlike every other religious tradition in history. Now I want you to make note of what I just said. Unlike every other religious tradition in history, the earlier followers of Christ didn't merely believe in the resurrection. They knew it to be fact. Why? They saw Him with their own eyes and made it the single most significant point of faith in the church. Why believe? Because this happened. You don't have to just believe. We have the evidence, they're saying. And if you want to check our evidence, go ask the people that saw Him too. You don't believe me? Go ask them. Most of them are still alive. That's what they said. They saw Him, touched Him, ate with Him, and knowing the truth, they were willing to die for Him. Had they known it was a lie, they would never have been willing to sacrifice their lives for it. They proclaimed the resurrection to their deaths for one reason. They knew it was true. (laughs) 
Every other religious tradition, Stephanie, on planet Earth believes in their teaching, their pathway, their deity, their whatever. Every single religious tradition believes. But do you realize that there's not a single religious tradition save Christianity that has eyewitnesses to what they claim their founder said about himself? They have eyewitnesses. Do you realize if you were to go be a Buddhist, the good thing about Buddhism, and it's spectacular, you get to eat as much as you want. I'm sorry. I've got people out there looking at me like, what does that mean? Buddha was really big. Still nobody? Really? Wow. Okay, note to self. Tyler, will you take a note down? No more jokes in the pulpit, okay? Thank you. You can believe everything you want to about Buddha. You can believe anything you want to about Krishna. You can believe anything you want about any religion you want. You can believe it to your core. You can even give your life for it. But you know what you don't have? In every single last religious uh, belief and worship tradition on planet Earth, with the exception of Christianity, what you don't have, you can't be certain. Do you realize that Christianity is the one and only single religious tradition worship profile that we had eyewitnesses that scholars from everywhere, even the most um, liberal of scholars, says, yeah, you can't deny that. That's the truth. Some of the most uh, spectacular, epic law professors and law scholars look at this and say, yeah, I've gone over this frontwards and backwards. I'm sorry, this what they say because of the testimony? Melissa, because of the testimony? It's the truth. There's just too much evidence. There's just too much that happened. There's too many that say the exact same thing. Too many people say this occurred and they died for saying it. Do you realize that every last worship tradition on planet Earth can't know, despite their belief, except us? We can know because we had people who followed the one around who said, yeah, I'm going to die. But on the day three, I will be back. And that's fine. That's great. That's a wonderful thing. Ooh, hey, he's coming back in three days. Can't wait for this to happen. And then he doesn't. Okay, now I'm not quite as excited. What does he do? He actually shows up. And he doesn't show up in some smoky room where glass... We're, we're, we're smoking mirrors or having an effect and there's only one or two people there and they're all smoking hemp. So you can't trust them anyway. Did you see Jesus? No, I saw three of them. Well, we do teach the Trinity around here. No. These were people in broad daylight, hiding out in homes, 
walking from one place to another, having gone back to their jobs, getting pulled off their boats and saying, hey, I've got fish cooked over here. You want to come here? Etc. Et Moments after he rolled the stone away, he leaves emissaries behind just to make sure that the people who show up, they're freaked out thinking, oh my word, someone stole his body. He gets to tell them, no, no, no. He's alive. I know you've come here to look for him. He's not here because he's risen from the dead. And he's going to meet you. Go tell us. Go tell all the boys. They're going to want to hear this. They're going to want to hear this. Go tell them. He'll see you in Galilee. And lo and behold, what happens? He shows up in Galilee. No pot and alcohol anywhere in the vicinity. Just broken hearted torn up people who suddenly skyrocket into the absolute pinnacle of worship and praise because he said he was coming back and he came back. Give him a round of applause. Tell him how much you stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. Tyler, can I invite you?